The following is an excerpt from a conversation between Lou Kippelman, producer for Arcadian Vanguard, and Bill Watts, recorded earlier in 2021. Evidently, Mr. Zabo, he had those two uh, title matches against Luthez, and and then what happened, evidently, he injured his hand, and he disappeared, and that was that. So well, There were Ray Vilmer, this Ray Vilmer, but I don't know if he was there then or not. And he and Fez knew each other, but there was not, there was a little bit of, the way I remember there was some kind of, a little bit of feelings about them. Mm-hmm. But Ray Vilmer was one that could have been under the hood. Okay. My name is Al Gett, the rogue wrestling historian behind Charting the Territories. Today, in part four of The Curious Case of Mr. Zabo, I will reveal the identity of the masked wrestler Mr. Zabo, who wrestled for Leroy McGurk in February and March of 1963 for the first time ever. Listen on as I solve a wrestling history mystery. heard it at the very beginning of this podcast, the words of Bill Watts, who brought up the name Ray Vilmer as a possibility for the identity of Mr. Zabo. This was a name that hadn't previously popped up on my radar. At the time, I had certainly heard of Ray, but wasn't very familiar with his career, other than knowing that the bulk of it took place in the 1940s and 1950s. So based off this conversation with Bill, which I will play in its entirety in a little bit, I went in a new direction. Learn everything I could about Ray Vilmer. Much in the way we were trying to find evidence supporting the notion that Anton Leone, Danny Hodge, or Argentina Zuma could have been Mr. Zabo, while simultaneously trying to find evidence to eliminate them as suspects, it was now time to do the same for Ray. In actuality, all of these paths were being pursued simultaneously. It took us months to get enough additional evidence to be positive we had our man, and we were still a few months away from the smoking gun evidence that eliminated Argentina Zuma as a possibility. When I first found out that Lou Kippelman was going to talk to Watts, I put together a script of sorts of how I wanted the subject to be brought up. Remember, I believe that part of the reason that Lou Thez apparently told Koji Miyamoto it was Argentina Zuma was because he may have been prompted with Zuma's name. I wanted to ask Bill about Mr. Zabo in such a way that if we could get Bill to ID him without feeding him a name or names, that would be ideal. So I prepared a brief description of Mr. Zabo, that he was a masked wrestler billed from New York in early 1963, used the pile driver had two title shots against Thez, that Watts worked against him in some tag matches where Al Lovelock was Zabo's partner, and that Watts may have been a special referee for one of Mr. Zabo's matches against Thez. If Bill was able to come up with a name just from that info, that would be the ideal scenario. But if he didn't, 
I wanted to propose a few names. Remember, we still hadn't eliminated Anton Leone or Argentina Zuma, and I was still open to the possibility that it could have been one of them. So if Bill couldn't come up with a name, I wrote that we suggest three names, Anton Leone, Argentina Zuma, and Don Fargo, and give Bill some time after naming each name for him to respond, all the while giving him more time to continue to think about it and see if his memory was jarred. So here is the full conversation between Lou Kippelman and Bill Watts. You'll also hear Ron Fuller briefly on a couple of occasions, as I believe this conversation occurred just prior to a Fuller-Watts segment for another podcast. Some question. What's the question? Did he send a question? Uh, Brian Last had a question for you or something. Right. Brian Last had had a question for you, Bill, that uh, he wanted me to relay. Uh, It's uh, regarding kind of near the beginning of the time that you uh, started working full-time in the business in February, March of 1963. Uh, He's been researching some, uh, you know, uh, cards and stuff in Oklahoma. And he he wanted to know uh, if perhaps there was a particular wrestler he wanted to ID. Uh, So around the time you started working full time in Oklahoma, you were in tag, you were in tag team matches against, uh, Al Lovelock, the great Bolo and another, and another rest, another wrestler, uh, who worked under a hood. He was billed from New York going under the name, Mr. Sabo. And around the same time period, Mr. Sabo, uh, uh, worked two world title matches with Luthez in Tulsa. And you might've been a special referee for one of those. So, Brian wanted to know. Yeah, Brian wanted to see if any of this might might jog your memory to see if you uh, could. Well, certainly, I I remember Al Lovelock. Al Lovelock took me because I was the fresh face, and we sold out everywhere. Uh, And it's so funny the inner office politics. uh, uh, the, the guy that was a, the key referee and Leroy's, uh, con, uh, the guy that Leroy, uh, Leo Voss mm-hmm. hated Al Lovelock. Mm. So he would talk me into just, just really being stiff with poor Al. Uh. And poor Al was at that point in his career. You'd almost have to help him up when you knock him down, mm. but he had great, great psychology. And I realized finally they want me to beat up my my meal ticket. This guy's taking me and, <laughs> and drawing money uh, with it. And, and, uh, he was so easy to work with. He was an old pro, you know, mm-hmm. now Zabo or I think the name was Zabo. 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 Okay. Yeah. But I can't remember who it was right now. And I could have been a special mm-hmm. referee and I would take mm-hmm. it. <laughs> I had come home. Mm-hmm. I broke in in Indianapolis and then I yeah. came home. And over the holidays, I got in a fight in a bar in Oklahoma City. Yep. And broke my hand. Yeah. So I refereed for Leroy before I started wrestling for him. Mm-hmm. Because he made me a special referee yeah. with that cast on my hand. And I started getting over as a special referee so much. Mm. And then I, when I got, then when I come out of the cast and worked, and now Lovelock, we shot that angle. And I worked with him everywhere, and we were selling out everywhere. It created so much jealousy because 
Leroy's was a junior heavyweight place, and here I'm a heavyweight. Yeah. And I'm outdrawing everybody. So there Ryan. was some office politics against against it. Now, I'm just, I'd have to try to think. I know Antonioni <laughs> was there. Right. I'm trying to think right. who Zabo could have been, who he, who he could have been under that yeah. hood. Yeah. That you was, know, I don't, and I don't even know who's still alive. That could, right. So many people that I know are, are, are gone now. So I, so, I don't know. I know yeah. really I was at, uh, I was at a 4-H club building in Wichita Falls, Texas. Uh-huh. That didn't even have a phone. Mm. And I get the cops came to get me. I had an emergency call. And I thought that something happened to my mom and dad. And I went down there and they put me on the phone and it was Vince McMahon's senior and Toots Mont. Yeah. Called me and while Red Barry had met me in Joplin, Missouri and told them about me. Mm-hmm. And they said, you be here next Thursday. You're starting on our television. We're going to make you a star. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, I'll have to ask Mr. Bergert. They said, we'll handle Mr. Bergert. <laughs> so, right. so I told Leroy and Leroy said, they've already called me. And you're going to take this deal. This is your chance at the big time. Yeah, yeah. And that's what that's so, what happened, and everything happened from it. So, but I but it was right. Zabo or Zabo. I, I remember yeah. that, but I don't remember. So, I, so I, you know who the uh, I don't remember right. who who he was right there. Right, right. Brian uh, has, I guess, a few names as as potential candidates here. <laughs> okay, one you already mentioned, uh, Ripper Leone. Uh, another, yeah, it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been him though. Okay. Uh, another one was, uh, Argentina Zuma. Zuma was there, but he wasn't under a hood. I don't think maybe uh, he was, but he was, he okay. wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been out of love lots. He Argentine Zuma was a baby face. Ah, okay. Uh, <laughs> he wouldn't have been and, love lots partner. Mm, and the third name that Brian brought up was, uh, Don Fargo. And of course, Don oh, Fargo wor- worked under so many identities and gimmicks. Yeah, but it wasn't Don. It wasn't Don. I don't know Don. Okay. It wasn't Don. Uh, so Don Fargo. Uh, yeah. It was. There was a, a guy. Well, I just I don't know for sure. There was, you know, that's really getting back there. Yeah. I got in the business in 1962, actually in. In in uh, in Indianapolis, November of '62 was my first first batch, I think. So, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I again, yeah. uh, maybe it'll maybe it'll pop if it does. I'll I'll get it to Ron, but uh, cool. he's going to have to get a better list. None of those. Yeah. Things. Okay. Because uh, uh, Matt Suda was there, uh, but he wouldn't mm-hmm. have been under the mask. Right. So I, there was, I, I, I can picture mm-hmm. this guy. Yeah, and I'm trying to think. I know, I know, I know. At times, we would put somebody else under the mask to be Al's partner, but uh huh. Mephisto, mm-hmm. Frankie Kane, but I don't recall it being. I don't know. I, mm. I'm blank on it right now. But in a, okay, like I say, the sad yeah. thing is, there's there's nobody to ask. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, Brian. Well, we're 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 we're. Mm-hmm. Who? Y- yeah, Brian and uh, another uh, podcast host uh, who's been doing a lot of deep research in the for about McGurk Championship Wrestling around this time. Um, uh-huh. Evidently, Mister Zabo, he had those two 
uh, title matches against Luthez. And, and then what happened, evidently he injured his hand and he disappeared. And that was that. So there were Ray Vilmer, this Ray Vilmer, but I don't know if he was there then or not. And he and Fez knew each other, but there was not, there was a little bit of the way I remember there was some kind of a little bit of feelings about them. Mm -hmm. But Ray Vilmer was one that could have been under the hood. Okay. Around then, but I don't know that he was, I don't know if he was there or whether he, or the first time I worked with Fez was in Dallas, either Dallas or Fort Worth Mm, mm -hmm. when I was down there for the, for the, uh, for that territory. And, uh, so I, I, I don't, then I've been the, then I worked the whole week with him when he came to Oklahoma, but when I was, by that time I'd gone back to Oklahoma. Right. But, right. uh, but, uh, yeah, there was a Ray Filmer that could have been under the mask. It was a, was a cre- real credible work. As a matter of fact, he and Lou had broke in at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Cause I, I popped off something to Lou in, in Fort Worth or something uh-huh. about Ray Vilmer. I talked to the referee, what he said about Lou and, and Lou suplayed me. Oh, okay. a, work, a working suplay. He couldn't have got me. He, Lou couldn't get me with a shoot suplay. He just right. a working suplay. Yeah, and, and you know we laughed. We we laughed about it, but but uh, so I I just I don't know, man. I don't know okay. who I can talk to that can help bring that back. But if he comes up with any other ideas, I'd be more than happy to just have him get it to to that. But mm-hmm. it's. Uh, well, you, you've certainly given us a, a, a whole lot to work with, and I appreciate that. So I'm sure Brian will yeah. as well. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Thanks. So now we not only have Watts unprompted bringing up the name of Ray Vilmer, but several other things worth noting. First, he seemed pretty sure that it wasn't Leone or Zuma or Fargo, though I threw in Fargo's name just to have three choices instead of one or two. But his reasoning on why it wasn't Zuma lines up with what I have believed all along, that Zuma was a career babyface, and putting him under a mask and making him a heel in 1963 made little sense. And as for Leone, Bill Watts knew Anton very well. In his book, he mentions the story of the two of them working together in Vancouver and quitting and driving back to Oklahoma together literally on the spot. They literally gave their notice, walked out of the building, and drove back to Oklahoma. Now, that happened in December of 1963, so it's clear that Bill's memories of Leone around that time were clear. Additionally, when he first mentions Ray's name, he strongly implies that there were some issues between Ray and Lou. So that may leave some unanswered questions about the circumstances of the injury suffered during the second Fez Sabo match. Now, not only do I need to learn everything I can about Ray, I need to see if there's anything to what Watts implied if I can find any evidence of heat or other issues between Lou Fez and Ray Vilmer. Meanwhile, I reached out once again to Scott Teal. If you recall, I had previously asked Scott if Frankie Kane had ever mentioned Mr. Zabo during their many conversations, which are recapped in Scott's book about Frankie called Raising Kane from Jimmy Alt to Kid McCoy. 
I gave Scott a brief background of Mr. Zabo and asked him that if he had the opportunity to talk with Frankie in the future, to bring it up. I even laid out a script similar to what I had prepared for Bill Watts, giving some info on the character, noting a specific match that Frankie had with Mr. Zabo, and if Frankie's memory wasn't jarred, bringing up Anton Leone, Argentina Zuma, and Ray Vilmer, and see if any of them stood out. Again, I didn't just want to say, we think it was Ray Vilmer, does that sound right? I wanted to get his thoughts in as impartial a way as possible. While I was waiting to hear back from Scott, it was time to learn everything I could about Ray Vilmer. Ray was born in 1912, and according to Tim Hornbaker's 2017 book Legends of Pro Wrestling, 150 Years of Headlocks, Body Slams, and Pile Drivers, Ray grew up in DeSoto, Missouri, but eventually was based out of St. Louis. While working in a warehouse and playing baseball, he took up wrestling to keep in condition during the winters. He began to work out with Ray Steele and Strangler Lewis at a gym and turned pro in 1935. In the 1940s, he won singles titles in California, Florida, and Georgia. In the 1950s, he won more singles titles in Gulf Coast and Central States, plus held tag team titles in Calgary with Luther Lindsay and in Mid-Atlantic with Jack Curtis. With numerous main event runs in various territories, he emerged as a contender for the NWA World Heavyweight title. He wrestled several world champions for the title, and he also had at least 20 singles bouts with Lou Thez between 1938 and 1963 with at least 10 of them being world title bouts, including a couple pre-1948, which were for Lou's National Wrestling Association world heavyweight title. Thez and Vilmer wrestled each other in numerous different territories, with bouts in Kansas City and St. Joseph, Missouri, Nashville and Evansville, Atlanta, San Francisco and Fresno, Fort Lauderdale and St. Petersburg, and Niagara Falls, all between 1938 and 1957. And, If we're right on all this, we can now add two bouts in Tulsa in 1963 to that impressive list. At this time, I should say that Ray Vilmer passed away in 2005, so going directly to the source was not an option. I actually made a half-hearted attempt to contact Ray's son's ex-wife on Facebook, but that didn't pan out. Back to Ray, Milo Steinborn once referred to Vilmer, Ray Eckert, and Warren Bockwinkel as the three shooters. There's also quite a bit of anecdotal evidence that Ray and Luthez were at the very least friendly, if not outright friends, in the late 30s and 40s. Not only could I not find anything regarding issues between Lou and Ray, what I did find indicated they were on good terms for many, many years. The most interesting thing I learned about Ray Vilmer, as it pertains to the mystery of Mr. Zabo, was this. On two separate occasions... He had runs in Gulf Coast under a mask as the Mighty Yankee. Recall that Mr. Zabo was billed from New York, and in the original profile I had put together, listing known characteristics of Zabo, being billed from New York was one of them. Now, I'm not sure if they gave the Mighty Yankee a hometown in Gulf Coast, but if they did, I'm pretty sure it would have been New York. This brought my mind back to that profile I had put together. Now that Ray Vilmer is a suspect, does he fit any or many parts of that profile? And why had he not been on any short list of suspects I had compiled? Keep in mind that at one point, I had looked through the career records of a few hundred wrestlers who were active 
in January 1963 and then disappeared for at least two months beginning in February, which was when Mr. Zaba was wrestling in Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Missouri. Was Ray actually wrestling somewhere else at the time? And if so, does that eliminate him as a suspect? Let's start with the profile. This was put together using all the available press clippings and articles I could find from the McGurk territory when Mr. Zabo was there. For each individual piece of information, we'll see whether or not Ray fits. Item 1. Billed as being from New York for at least some portion of his career. Knowing now that he worked as the mighty Yankee in Gulf Coast, there is a history of Vilmer working a masked gimmick that at the very least was inferred to be from New York, or perhaps the Northeast, but the term Yankee has much more strongly been associated with New York dating back to 1913 when the New York Highlanders baseball team changed their name to the New York Yankees. So, check. Item 2. Was in an Eastern-based territory shortly before February 1963. Vilmer's last known whereabouts were in Mid-Atlantic, where he finished up in December 1962. Check. Item 3. Had wrestled for McGurk at some point in the several-year period prior to 1963. Ray had not wrestled for Leroy or for Sam Avey, the promoter who preceded Leroy as promoter of the Oklahoma-based territory, at any point before 1963. So this one is a no. Item 4. Can't be confirmed in another territory between February 4th and March 25th, 1963, and for about six to eight weeks after. Ray's next known whereabouts in 1963 are in Florida, with his first documented appearance being on April 30th. So it's a little less than six to eight weeks, but the fact that he's not anywhere else in all of February, March, and the first 29 days of April is good enough for me to give him a check on this one. Item 5. Is a junior heavyweight, or at the very least, not a large heavyweight. Based on all the pictures I've seen of Ray, he fits this mold. Despite his numerous world heavyweight title shots and several runs as a territory's heavyweight champion, he seems to be on the smaller side. In fact, WrestlingData.com lists his ring weight as 220 pounds, which matches exactly that of Danny Hodge. So check. Item 6. Use the pile driver as a finisher. In particular, the sequence of several pile drivers in a row leading to the opponent being unable to continue. Now, you'd be surprised to learn how many wrestlers use the pile driver as a finisher at some point during their careers. When I started looking into this mystery, I thought the number would be small. In fact, when I came across a newspaper article stating that Anton Leone had not only used the pile driver as a finisher during a match in the Amarillo Territory, but he specifically used the several pile drivers in a row rendering his opponent unable to continue sequence, I was convinced I had my man. I did not have my man. But do I have him now? I did a search on newspapers.com, and what should appear but an article from Tampa in February 1962, where Vilmer defeated Tojo Yamamoto after giving him a pair of pile drivers. Check. Item 7 was somebody with a moderate amount of name recognition, not a nobody, but also not a megastar. This description fits Ray to a T. While he definitely was remembered as a star in some circles, and in the mid-1940s was one of the top draws in wrestling, main eventing shows that drew over 10,000 fans on five different occasions, I still think he is a significant step or two below what we consider megastars. 
Check. Item 8. Had a history of being in the same place at the same time as Al Bolo Lovelock. While Ray had definitely crossed paths with Al over the years and wrestled against him on at least three occasions in the 40s, I wouldn't say they had a history of being in the same place at the same time. So no check. Out of the eight items in the profile, Ray checks yes on six of them, which is pretty darn impressive. But if you've been listening, you probably know that pretty darn impressive isn't good enough for Al Getz. Especially since at the time I put all this together, I was still trying to get proof on Argentina Zuma's whereabouts. I felt pretty confident that Ray was the answer I'd been looking for all this time, but I wanted undeniable proof, or as close as I could get to it. Over the summer, I recorded an interview with Gil Culkin for Charting the Territories. Gil's the son of wrestler and promoter George Culkin. As Gil and I were talking, Frankie Kane's name came up a few times. Frankie had been the booker for George and Gill when they ran their own outlaw territory in Mississippi from 1977 to 1979 after splitting from Leroy McGurk. After the interview, as Gill and I were shooting the breeze, he mentioned Frankie again, saying that they still talked regularly, and a light bulb went off in my head. So I quickly filled Gill in on the Mr. Zabo saga and sent him a brief synopsis of the script I had already given to Scott Teal. Instead of waiting to hear back from Scott, Perhaps Gil could ask Frankie the question I'd been wanting to ask for months. 22 minutes later, Gil sent me a two-word message on Facebook that literally floored me. I mean that. I actually and truly fell down after reading it. Those two words? Ray Vilmer. Not only did Frankie Kane name the same person that Bill Watts had suggested, but he apparently did it very quickly. Gil told me that Frankie said it was Ray right away. I was extremely happy. Honestly, I was overjoyed. Frankie's instantaneous response, coupled with his reputation for having an incredible memory, had me convinced that I solved the mystery that had eluded wrestling historians for 60 years. The truth about the conversation Gil had with Frankie, like most everything else surrounding this wrestling history mystery, was not what it seemed. After I got the response from Gil, I messaged Scott Teal to tell him we got our answer and that he didn't need to ask Frankie. Scott responded shortly thereafter, saying that he had spoken with Frankie a few days earlier and was catching up on some other things before getting back to me. Frankie's super quick, unprompted response to Gil was only because he and Scott had already talked about it just days earlier. Poor Frankie Kane probably thinks there's an army of researchers all racing to solve this mystery. In reality, it was just one very determined researcher. Then, Scott gave me details of their conversation. After briefing Frankie on some specifics, Frankie was unable to come up with a name. As I had written it out for Scott, he then brought up the names Anton Leone, Argentina Zuma, and Ray Vilmer. Frankie said he was pretty sure it wasn't Leone, but couldn't offer up any more info. Scott said they moved on to talk about other things, and about a half hour later... Frankie said that he remembered it was Vilmer. In Scott's own words to me, Frankie told him that Vilmer wasn't being figured into much as far as angles and programs anywhere, so he decided to do that because it gave him better matches. He said it didn't last long. While it wasn't the instantaneous, unprompted response I thought it was after talking with Gill, I still was positive that this case was closed. Bill Watts suggested it was Ray Vilmer, 
He fit most of the items on the profile I had built. Frankie Kane corroborated Bill's belief that it was Ray and offered up some specific details he remembered about how Ray came up with the idea. And right around this time was when we had compiled pretty strong evidence suggesting Argentina Zuma could not have been Mr. Zabo. It was at this point that I started plotting out this series of podcasts. Part one was recorded in early September, and now, on Monday, December 6th, I am recording part four, and I'm about to say the thing I have been wanting to say for months out loud publicly for the first time. Ray Vilmer was Mr. Zabo. There are no more twists, no more turns. This wrestling history mystery has been solved to what is clearly a reasonable degree of certainty. But there were two more things on my mind. First, where was Ray in January of 1963? We know he left Mid-Atlantic right before Christmas in 1962, and we know he didn't start working for Leroy McGurk until February 4, 1963. I wanted to be able to explain that gap. If you recall, while learning about Ray, I learned that he wrestled under a mask before he did it as Mr. Zabo, competing in Gulf Coast as the Mighty Yankee. There have been numerous wrestlers who have billed themselves as the Mighty Yankee over the years. I wondered if there was a Mighty Yankee working anywhere in January of 1963, and if so, was he using that name before Christmas 1962 or after February 1963? Because if there was a mighty Yankee who only worked somewhere for that brief period of time, there's a good chance it was Vilmer. After doing some research, I did find a wrestler who worked as the mighty Yankee on a couple of shows using talent booked out of the Goulas Welch office. He was booked on shows in East Tennessee and Northeastern Alabama. Now keep in mind that Goulas Welch were running several shows each and every night, many of which are not part of the current historical record. I honestly did not find enough to know that this mighty Yankee was wrestling full-time, but his earliest appearance is in January of 1963. Now, it's worth noting that his latest booking was for a show on February 15th, which would have been after Mr. Zabo started for McGurk, and Mr. Zabo is confirmed to have wrestled in Oklahoma City on that night. We don't have results for the Gula show on that night, so it's possible that the mighty Yankee didn't appear as advertised, and if we're to be honest, it's possible that even if Vilmer had been this particular Yankee, when he left for McGurk, they very well could have thrown somebody else out there under the mask just for that one match. So it may have been Vilmer, but it may not have been. WrestlingData.com credits these appearances of the Mighty Yankee to a wrestler named Jack Dillon. Dillon apparently had used the Mighty Yankee gimmick there in the spring of 1962. So perhaps someone just made an assumption that the same wrestler who used the gimmick in that territory less than a year earlier was using it again. Or perhaps they do have more info than I do that confirmed it was Dylan. Honestly, we may never know. But if Ray Vilmer was indeed wrestling as the Mighty Yankee for Goulas Welch in January 1963, then he probably shared a dressing room with a young preliminary wrestler by the name of Young Zabo. Back in part one of this series, I mentioned that one of the difficulties in tracking down the identity of Mr. Zabo was that there were a handful of other wrestlers with similar names that popped up briefly in various places at various times. 
One such wrestler was Young Zabo. Not much is known about him. Press clippings bill him as Hungarian, and in at least one case, he is billed as a relative of the famous Shandor Sabo, though by all accounts, this was not actually true. In fact, in some ads, he was even billed as Shandor Sabo, though we've already pinpointed the real Shandor's whereabouts at this time, so it can't be him. Plus, this is definitely a young preliminary wrestler, and the real Shandor was neither of those things in 1963. So, if Ray Vilmer was wrestling under a mask in January 1963 in towns on the outskirts of the Ghoulist territory, upset that he's not being used to what he feels is the best of his abilities, and he's looking for a new gimmick that might convince a promoter to give him a push, since the mighty Yankee gimmick was so commonplace over the years, and he runs into a young Zabo, does this give him the idea to take on the ring name of Mr. Zabo? Again, we may never know, but it is definitely possible. That wraps up the first thing still on my mind after solving this mystery. And the other thing was the possibility that there were issues between Vilmer and Thez and the circumstances surrounding the broken hand suffered by Vilmer, a.k.a. Zabo, in the second Thez match may be an interesting story. I'd love to tell you I solved that aspect of the mystery, but as of yet, I have not. Or have I? We mentioned earlier that Fez and Vilmer had at least 20 singles matches over the years. The last such match occurred in August of 1963 in Orlando, Florida. Newspaper articles promoting the match said, Two old friends who are masters of the art of wrestling will be opposing each other, and discusses Fez, Vilmer, Ray Eckert, and Warren Bockwinkle all turning pro at around the same time in the St. Louis area. In fact, the article stated, Many fans are looking forward to a fine exhibition of scientific wrestling between Thez and Vilmer. What they got, however, for at least a brief period of time in the early stages of the bout, seems to have been something very different. The following day, the headline of a recap of the show read, World Champ Thez Booed at Legion Arena. It went on to say that this had been the first time Lou Thez had ever been booed in Orlando. Five minutes or so into the match, Thez slugged Vilmer in the kidneys and then wrapped knuckles sharply into Vilmer's face repeatedly while he held him in a headlock. Thez went on to win the match, taking the first and third falls, and it seems no further incidents warranted mentioning in the newspaper. Now, of course, we all know that when the world champion would come to town, he would often play the role of subtle heel in an attempt to get the fans firmly behind the challenger. Thez certainly did this on numerous occasions all across the NWA. But the fact that his actions were so roundly booed by the fans so as to warrant a mention in the next day's newspaper, and that it seemingly never happened before when Lou would wrestle in Orlando, and there are at least seven known Thez matches in Orlando prior to this one, is of interest if we're trying to put all the pieces of the story together. Remember that Bill Watts was pretty sure there were issues between the two, mentioning a match that Bill had with Lou in either Dallas or Fort Worth. According to my research, this would have been June 1963 in Dallas, where Bill jokingly said something about what Ray said about Lou, and Lou got a little hot under the collar briefly. So there was something, unless there was nothing. As for Ray Vilmer, his wrestling career ended in 1965. His obituary mentioned that he worked for the GAF Corps, until he retired. 
It's very possible that Ray was working for GAF when they were the manufacturer of one of my favorite childhood possessions, the Viewmaster. Ray also served in the U.S. Navy during World War II. His career record lists a mere handful of matches between the summer of 1943 and the fall of 1945, so he was almost certainly stationed in the South Pacific during that time. While we don't know everything there is to know about the life of Ray Vilmer, we do know quite a bit. And now we know one more thing about him. Ray Vilmer was Mr. Zabo. Thanks for listening to Wrestling History Mysteries. You can find me on Twitter at AlGetsWrestling, that's Al-G-E-T-Z, Wrestling, with any questions you have about Mr. Zabo or anything else discussed on the podcast. Wrestling History Mysteries, part of the Charting the Territories podcast feed, can be found wherever you get your favorite podcasts and at chartingtheterritories.com.